Welcome to the sermon cast from King Road Church. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. If you'd like to pray with someone, speak with one of our pastors, or if you're looking for more resources, please go to kingroad.ca, scroll down on the homepage, and fill out the Reach Out fillable. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, please open to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. Um, Going forward in our services, we're going to start, uh, before the sermon, reading the whole text of what's going to be preached. Um, my, my habit is to just pre- like read it in the chunks as I preach it, but I think it's good for us to see it in its entirety, the passage as well. It helps us understand the context a little more, and it's good to hear God's word just, just read to us. So uh, in, the, in the weeks ahead also, there will be a whole bunch of different church members up here coming to do those kinds of things. So here is today's reading of God's word from 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That is the word of the Lord. So throughout history, Christians have suffered for their faith. Christians have suffered uh, all the way back. You look in the book of Acts and you can read about how the apostles suffered as they went and preached the good news. You can read about, through church history, how other Christians have suffered and were martyred even for their faith in Jesus Christ, and they still do today. Here's a current story from uh, the website Open Doors. Open Doors USA is a, a ministry that is actually a global ministry to support the persecuted church around the world. And so this story is from their website, from Open Doors website. Kirti, a young woman from India, heard the gospel at a church gathering. During the service, God miraculously healed Kirti from a debilitating disease, and she decided to follow Jesus. When Kirti returned to her rural village, it only took a week for word to spread. Kirti had rejected the Hindu gods, and now she follows Jesus. The village elders threatened Kirti and told her to stop meeting with other Christians. When she refused, a group of men broke into her house during a small church gathering. They burned her Bible, they dragged the Christians out of the house, and began beating them. This is what you get for following Jesus, they said. One night, a group of men carrying ropes rushed into Kirti's home and grabbed her husband by force. The men killed Kirti's husband for his faith. 
There were no arrests. Yet through this suffering and loss, Kirti's faith remained unshakable. I have committed everything into the hands of Jesus, Kirti said. They often threaten to kill me, but I pray for the salvation of my village. The big idea for today's sermon is even when suffering unjustly, Oh, you guys see something different. When we suffer, we need to remember the hope of the gospel. Yeah, that's, that's probably worded better than what I had in my own notes. <laughs> when we suffer, we need to remember the hope of the gospel. Two points. There is a suffering that results in blessing. And three commands for suffering well. See how I did that? And I've got a whole bunch of points in there, but I made it two. So on to number one, there is a suffering that results in blessing. The passage we just read from 1 Peter chapter 3, starting verse 13, there's a verse right before it, that verse 12, which says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Then verse 13 comes, which says, now who is there to harm you for if you are zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. The, Peter's giving us something here that the world around us doesn't believe, and that is that there's a purpose in suffering. The world around us doesn't believe that. The world around us, uh, the secular culture, will say that the only reason that there's suffering is because we're all here by random acts of chance of the, the universe doing its thing, and boom, we happen to be here. There's not really any purpose to your life. There's not any purpose really to anything, uh, especially suffering. Even other religions would say that there is no purpose in suffering some religions say that suffering is always the result of our bad behavior, and we're just being punished for it. So the gods that are out there, we've offended them in some way, and so therefore we suffer because we're being punished for our wrongdoing. Other religions will say that we suffer simply because the physical is bad, and we're just enduring badness as we are living our physical lives. The spiritual is good, so we, we yearn for the spiritual, we work towards spiritual things, but we shun the physical because the physical itself is inherently evil. But the Bible gives us something completely different, a completely different understanding of suffering, a completely different understanding of creation. Suffering is not always directly related to our actions. Oftentimes, good people suffer. God isn't sitting on his heavenly throne, wringing his hands, <laughs> when can I punish those no good doers? When can I get back at them? That's not what he's doing. That's not the biblical picture of what God is doing. Suffering is not simply a result of having a physical life. God made everything at the end of creation, what does God say? That everything is good. It's, he actually says very good. Yes, we live in a broken world, but the physical, just because something's physical doesn't mean it's inherently evil. It's good. 
The biblical, the Christian view of suffering teaches us that God has a purpose in that suffering, and that purpose primarily is to draw us closer to him. And this text gives us evidence for that. In verse 12, which I read, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. So, so those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose, those who are yearning to follow after, after him, though his people who are suffering, his eyes are on them. He has not turned his face away. He is with you. He is on you. And then verse 14, those who suffer for righteousness' sake will be blessed. For those who draw near to the Lord, those who strive to live according to the Spirit and are in the midst of suffering, the Lord sees you. He knows. Even if you can't see it in the moment, even if you're going through a time that is so dark that you can't, you just, it feels like you're so far away from him. He has not departed from you. He sees you. He is with you. In this section, and even the past number of verses that we've looked at, um, and today's verses, Peter is drawing from the Psalms Listen to these next verses from Psalm 34, verses 11 through 22, and see if you can see similarities to what Peter has said. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God blesses the suffering of the righteous. God blesses the suffering of his people. God redeems the suffering of his children. So ladies like Kirti in India, who suffer greatly because of their faith in Jesus, who endure beatings from their neighbors, whose husbands are killed for their faith, they can still rejoice in who Jesus is because they know that they serve the true and living God and that the things that they're experiencing on this earth are indeed temporary. They can say things like, I have committed everything into the hands of Jesus. Her faith, Kirti's faith, is unshakable, not because she's amazing, but because Jesus is amazing, and she understands who he is. And so she has placed everything in his hands. And she is experiencing loss greater, greater than many of us will ever experience. Her suffering is resulting and will result, though, in blessing. The blessing of knowing God, the blessing of being near to Christ, and the assurance of being with him forever. 
And that same promise holds true for us. When we suffer for whatever reason, God has a purpose in it, ultimately to draw us closer to him. But again, notice, back to Kirti's story, notice her posture in her faith. I have committed everything into the hands of Jesus. Jesus is her Lord. Jesus is her life. Jesus is her everything. You can almost hear her echoing the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 where he writes, but whatever gain I had, and now the Apostle Paul went through all sorts of beatings, taken out of the city, left for dead, stoned with rocks, not drugs, stoned with rocks, left outside of the city for dead, right? I know I have to explain that in today's culture, right? But he's left outside for dead. He's rejected by his own people. And this is what he writes. But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. My question for us, can we actually say that? Can we say that we count everything as loss? Can we say that we look at everything else in our lives, basically, and be willing to call it garbage in order to have Christ? Because that's what Paul says. Can we say that we're willing to withstand the loss of, every, loss of everything to be called a disciple of Jesus Christ? Think of all the good things you have in your life. Okay, many of you are thinking maybe, maybe material things, but I'm not even, those things are fine too, but I don't just mean those. I mean relationships. Relationships that you cherish. What about your reputation? Are you willing to consider those loss, to lose those for the sake of Christ? That's what Kirti's endured. That's what the Apostle Paul endured. And a lot of us probably, again, won't experience that kind of persecution in our lives. But honestly, for some of us, I think there's things that are lesser that we're even willing to walk away from Christ for. So the question, are you ready to call all things loss? And we just may not know that if we haven't gone through that kind of suffering because it's through suffering like that that we actually come to that depth of faith, that strength in Christ. Because by his spirit, he works in us in those times of suffering to keep us near to him. Often when life's going well, we get lulled into thinking a lot of the ways like, like the other religions do. Like, oh, look at the, all these things. Uh, all these things that God has given me, all these blessings I have, man, I must be doing something right. Man, I am a self-made man. And in that thinking, as we're lulled into that kind of thinking through the comfort and the, the joys and the peace that we experience, as we're lulled into that, we move away from true righteousness into self-righteousness. But then when the suffering comes, when the loss comes, then we're put to the test. 
And it may be through persecution, it may be through the loss of family or finances, maybe you lose everything the way Job does. And God uses that to pull us closer to himself. Back at the beginning of 1 Peter, Peter writes about this kind of work that God does in and through our trials and sufferings. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says this, in, you, or in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious, precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, all the way back at the beginning of this letter, Peter references this fact that the people that he's writing to are going through trials. They're they're going through suffering, and God is using that to refine them. That whole idea of a a refiner of fine metals, they they melt the gold, and the, 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 the junk that's in the metal floats up to the top, and they take it away. But it doesn't happen unless it's gone through incredible heat, the kind of heat that takes to melt metal. And that's the kind of testing that sometimes it feels like in our lives. But fear not, God is working in you. He's drawing you near to himself. He's taking away the impurities. God blesses his people through suffering. And in order to suffer well, Peter helps us with three commands. So three commands for suffering well. When you're in the midst of suffering, uh, and some of you might be in that right now, um, you don't feel like hearing, um, you don't feel like having people come to you and, and giving you like words of wisdom sometimes, right? People come to you and go, you know what? Man, God's word in Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious, so you just shouldn't be anxious. Or, you know, worrying about things, that just doesn't add an hour to your life. And when you hear things like that, it's just like, you just feel like slapping them across the face, right? Because in the moment, you're just like, I know these things. If you've grown up in the church, you've read the Bible, yes, I know these things. But in the moment, man, sometimes you don't want to hear that. But nevertheless, God, God himself gives us commands. So when we look in scripture, we can see things that help us. So maybe you don't want to hear it from somebody else, but let God say it to you at least. And he gives us commands so that we hopefully can learn so that when we are in, so that we can learn during those times when we're not suffering, so that when we are suffering, we remember them. And we see three things from Peter. Number one, have no fear. So 1 Peter 3, 14. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So fear can be very destructive in a lot of ways. It can be helpful, the, the, the emotion or the natural impulse towards fear. If we're on a road and there's a bus hurtling towards us, it's good to have fear and move out of the way, right? Fear can be helpful. But there are times also where fear can be very dangerous and can lead us to actions that are based on panic 
rather than based on fact. And one example of that, in the early hours of February 25th, 1942, there was sincere and severe panic in the city of Los Angeles. A few months earlier, Pearl Harbor had been attacked, had been attacked and, um, and then even a few days earlier, an oil refinery off the coast of California had been attacked by a Japanese submarine. So people were on high alert in California and the West Coast in the United States, expecting a mainland attack from the Japanese. And all of a sudden, around 3 a.m. on February the 25th, the Coast Guard reported seeing a balloon carrying a flare over the city. And air raid sirens went off, anti-aircraft guns started firing from all over the city. And citizens ran out of their homes and they started calling the authorities and calling where they needed to make reports. And they were, they were saying things like, we see enemy aircraft flying in formation over the city. Bombs are dropping. There's paratroopers coming down. And after about an hour of panic, the drivers had been fleeing the city and causing accidents. A number of people died in those car accidents. There were reports of five people dying of heart attacks that night. But days later, uh, the military released a report that while there were lots of reports of sighting of enemy military, nothing had ever been confirmed. No Japanese soldiers had landed. No bombs had been dropped. No Japanese aircraft had been shot down. But what had happened was the meteorological service had released weather balloons. And people saw them, and because of the state of panic around them, they reacted by thinking it was enemy aircraft. See, their fear caused panic, not based on the facts, but just based on the fear. So what are we commanded to do in times of trial? So Peter says, have no fear. Don't fear the people who threaten you. Don't fear rumors that you may hear. Don't let those things trouble you. Peter again is drawing from the Old Testament, this time Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. In Isaiah's context, the Lord is warning the people about the fact that there is an impending Invasion from the Assyrians. And they're coming in, and this is God's way of bringing judgment upon them. And so the people start panicking and having all sorts of irrational uh, ideas of what's happening and when it's happening, even though it hadn't even started yet. And God's saying, listen, don't, don't, yes, it's coming, but don't act out of your fear. Instead, turn to me. Trust me. Repent. Repent of all the, all the things that are ca- causing this judgment to come upon you and turn back to me. Fear displays a lack of God awareness. Fear displays a lack of trusting in God's sovereignty. Now we all fear at times that's going to be a natural part of our lives in this fallen world. But when, when you're going through times, times where fear is consuming you, 
when you're allowing it to invade every part of your thoughts and your being and your emotions and your actions and it's affecting every relationship, you need to look inside and check what's going on in your heart. We need to seek help in those times. We need to go and talk to trusted friends, Christian leaders, pastors maybe, maybe a mentor, maybe a, maybe a professor at school or, or a grandpa who you know is steadfast and solid in the faith, has, en- has endured a lot more life than you. And talk with them about your fears. Don't just hide and try to keep it to yourself and think, think that by trying to control it yourself, it's all going to go away because it won't. We need to seek help. And we need to place our trust in Christ in times like this. We need to actually consider the fact that there's a possibility that in this fear that there is sin at the base of it. Sin of not trusting in God. Sin of not believing that Christ is actually sovereign over all things. And we need to seek help from people who love us and who love Jesus. So fear not. Second, honor Christ. 1 Peter 3.15, read it the first part of it. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So Peter's contrasting fear with honoring God. That might not seem like the natural thing to us, but the opposite of fear is trust. So if we're in times of fear, we need to go instead away from that fear and we need to go towards trust. Trusting in Christ, trusting in his sovereignty, his love for us, his wisdom. We need to honor him by loving him, trusting him, praying to him, and being able to rest in him. Fear robs us of rest. Fear hinders our prayers and limits our love and trust in Christ. And, and while you're going through times of fear, you might, in your mind, you might have the right thoughts about Jesus in terms of him being holy, in terms of him um, dying for your sins, in terms of his resurrection, in terms of his divinity. You might have those right thoughts, but we need to act on those thoughts. And what, how we act, how we speak, comes out of the depths of our hearts and what we're believing. So out of the overflow of the heart is where our actions come from. And if our actions are displaying a deep-seated sense of fear, then there's something going on with your belief in Christ and that he's not in control. Again, back to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. And let him be your dread. So to combat our fear of the world, we need to increase our reverence for God, our reverence for Christ. Knowing that God is holy, honoring him as holy, and having a healthy fear of God will lead us to see every other problem in this world as lesser. So as we increase our reverence for Christ, the other things will become less. 
It will lead us to be like Kirti and praise God knowing that he is wise, he is in control, and even believing these things and living according to these things while our world is crashing down around us. The third command that Peter gives us is to be prepared. 1 Peter chapter 3, last part of verse 15. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So as we're fighting our fears and seeking to honor Christ as holy, we also need to be prepared to make a defense for our hope in Christ and our hope in the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life for us, died a death that we deserved in our place, though he didn't deserve it, paid the price for our sins, rose again to new, new life, assuring us, guaranteeing those who put their faith in him, eternal life with him forever. That's the good news of the gospel in a short soundbite. That even though we were rebellious and fearful and dishonoring of God, far from him, God still chose to send his son to do that for us and to die for us as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And Peter is saying that we need to witness to that, to keep witnessing to that fact, even in the times of suffering, even towards those who are causing the suffering with gentleness and respect. So in the face of persecution, in the face of trials, even when wicked people surround you and maybe are mocking your faith. Peter's saying, even in those times, we witness to who Christ is, to the good news of the gospel. Do you remember what this lady, Kirti, said about her village? She said, they often threaten to kill me, but I pray for the salvation of my village. She even has hope for her persecutors. She has hope for those who are causing her pain and suffering, those who murdered her husband. She's hoping that they will become Christians, put their faith in Jesus Christ. She still has that hope. She is still praying for that, even in the midst of all that suffering. That's incredible. Peter keeps going in verse 16. Have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. The wicked will pay for their sins. There's no question about that. Either their sins will be paid for by Christ if they repent and put their faith in him, or they will pay for it eternally by suffering under God's judgment in hell. It's not up to us. Even though we want to, even though we want to get back at people and get some vengeance and make them pay, we, we get those feelings and those thoughts, right? You're in that moment of being, um, you're being mocked, somebody teases you, whatever you walk, you have nothing to say in the moment you walk away and all of a sudden you get all of these thoughts and you're like, oh man, I should have said that, that really would have put them in their place. Yeah, it's by God's grace that actually we don't have those comebacks in those moments. Because it's for him to get back at them, not for us. 
We don't need to plan revenge. We don't need to fantasize about how we're going to get people back if they continue to do things against us. They will answer for what they do. We are called to treat them with gentleness and respect so that we have a good conscience and can live with a clean heart. And then Peter closes these verses in verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Remember the context for this whole section. We keep going back to that, it seems, every sermon. We go back to chapter 2, where Peter has told us to live in a way that is honorable among the Gentiles. If we suffer for following Christ, if we suffer for being mocked or being called names or, or by these things, or maybe even being shunned in certain social gatherings, or maybe coworkers just kind of leave you out of things because you're a Christian, they're just like, yeah, we don't really want that Christian with us as we go and celebrate whoever's birthday or have some kind of party, and you find yourself being left outside of those things. Who cares? Honestly, whatever. If hard persecution even comes on us and we suffer physically for following Christ and for not giving in to the demands of the world around us, so what? It's temporary. We really need to see it as temporary and understand, like Peter is telling us, that it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. See, if we're suffering for doing evil, if we're getting those consequences from, uh, you know, in a, in a relationship, we've done something bad and, that, and the, we're reaping the benefits of that, right? If we, if we are reaping what we sow in a negative way, like we're deserving that. But if we're getting treated poorly because we are Christians and because we want to act in a way that honors God and even honors the people around us, then that's okay. Because God is with us. He does not leave us. He does not forsake us. Even in the hardest times of suffering. So regardless of the type of suffering that you may face, have no fear. Honor Christ and be prepared to make a defense for the faith that is within you. Be a witness for the glorious good news that we have through Jesus Christ. We pray with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercies on us and that we can come to your word and we can see that you give hope even for those who are suffering. Lord, the Christian hope for people who are in suffering is a, is a hope that is far better than anything else that the world can offer us. The hope that we have in you, Lord Jesus, is far greater than any hope that the world can offer us in material things or in some kind of social approval or whatever it is that the world's trying to offer us. Everything that you offer us, Lord, as we go through suffering is better. So we thank you for the way that you show us these truths and these promises. Lord, would you make them dwell deeply in our hearts? 
Lord, I know that there are some here today who are suffering greatly, and even those who are watching online who have suffered greatly, and some of these words just are kind of bouncing off of them because they aren't ready to hear it. So I pray that by your spirit, you would soften them, even in their, even in their suffering. Give them soft hearts that are ready to receive your word. And Lord, help us to be gracious to those who are suffering. To be able to just go and sit with them and listen well and have the wisdom of when to share words. So Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, that Lord Jesus, you suffered and died for us. So we have a God who understands suffering to the depths. Bless us, Lord, as we close with another song. In your name, Jesus, amen.